and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and as always, I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, folks, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Those are the words of Robert Burns, and unfortunately, that's what's happened this week with the Paranormal Sun. So basically, when I told you I had a surprise for this week, I should have just held my tongue a little bit longer. Unfortunately, we just couldn't make it line up. The person who I was going to have on uh, had to go away for a trip, and we just didn't have time to do it. And then I did have a backup plan, but unfortunately, again, that backup plan, the, the person had something come up, so we couldn't have them on the program. But that's okay. I'm here, and I'm ready to go. So this episode is going to be a bonus size News of the Damned. And then we're also going to get into some more of those CIA files. I haven't done any of those for a while, so I thought that might be a bit of a treat. Aside from that, folks, I hope that you're all doing well. I know that in the Northern Hemisphere, you're getting closer and closer to daylight savings. So hopefully it's warming up for a lot of you. And, you know, everywhere, wherever you are in the world, I hope that you're having the best day and the best year that 2021 can possibly bring to you. Down here, we're all right. Uh, I've had a lot of hay fever and kind of seasonal allergies. As I say, uh, always the worst in the spring and fall, but it is what it is. It's far from the end of the world for me. Now, speaking of that, speaking of the end of the world, I will have an article coming up in the News of the Damned on just that topic. And thankfully, this time, we avoided it. But uh, hopefully the next time around, um, we'll avoid it as well. But yeah, it was a pretty close call this time. And I know that all sounds mysterious, but you'll find out about it soon enough. So I did want to bring up a few things just really quickly. First and foremost, uh, someone's passing who I forgot to mention. And I thought about it a few times. It just slipped my mind to not bring it up on the show. Larry King passed away on the 23rd of January in the U.S. And Larry King's very important in the UFO field because he's one of the first journalists who really treated it seriously, and he did several UFO specials while he was on CNN and on his radio show. So Larry King has been instrumental in making this a little bit less of a derisive topic where people are laughing at you for seeing things. So yeah, it's, um, I mean, all of our lives are going to end one day, uh, at least for now, <laughs> until we get to a day where there's uh, uh, cyborgs and the like. We know that all of our lives are going to end. And Larry King had a long and fruitful life. But yeah, it uh, it would be amiss of me to not even acknowledge what he's done for the UFO field and all of this that we cover in general. You know, Larry King had a very open mind, as I believe most journalists should have, although many of them don't. And I'm very appreciative that, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, he covered a lot of these topics he did a special about the Stephenville Lights. I think he discussed, um, off the top of my head, also the Phoenix Lights. So, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I acknowledged Larry King's passing. Now, another thing that I had a few people ask me on Instagram, and they just basically said, oh, JT, you haven't said anything about Women's Day, International Women's Day. Well, call me a bit oblivious or kind of living in my own dream realm, but this is the thing with me. Now, my mom, uh, from a very young age, my mom taught me to do a lot of things that my father should have, from hunting and fishing to riding a bike, driving, and everything in between. 
and how to work. So I've never been under the impression that women can't do things that men do. Yes, there are certain extremely taxing physical jobs that women may struggle at, but I mean, it doesn't mean that women can't do it. It's just that certain individuals may struggle at it. So this whole BS about, oh, this this is the weaker sex or whatever, I've never bought into that, and that's the reason why. I was shown, I wasn't told, <laughs> I was shown from a young age that women can do everything men can do, and I think it's been borne out. And to tell you the truth, I was uh, surprised that we still have to have a Women's Day in 2021. Now, don't get up in arms, don't at me. What I'm saying is that I don't think that we should have to prove that women are the equal to men by this day and age. That's what I'm getting at. I'm not saying that the day shouldn't exist or we shouldn't celebrate women. I'm just saying I thought it was a bygone conclusion, basically. Um, so anyway, for what it's worth, that's why I didn't chime in on it. It's not that I've got anything against women, obviously. I've had many women in my life um, who have been pillars and rocks, my mother, my sister, uh, my partner, and many, many others. And something that may also surprise the listeners of the program, but the majority of the audience is female. So trust me, I've got nothing against women. Uh, it's just a matter that, like I said, I was actually shocked that in this day and age, we really have to discuss that women are the equal of men. It's just, to me, it was a foregone conclusion. Anyway, hopefully one day we live in a world where it's not even a question. No different than can you do something based on your race. Again, that's another thing that uh, it may not be done publicly, but I know behind the scenes certain people question other people simply on the basis of their race. And again, to me, when people ask me what I identify as, first and foremost, I identify as a human. Uh, yes, of course, we've all got a background and an area where we're from, and we should be proud of where we're from, from our cultures and everything else. But at the same time, first and foremost, like I say, I'm a human. Now, I can't remember who said it, but it was a someone in one of these kind of alternative fields, let's call it. So it wasn't a mainstream scholar, off the top of my head anyway. But they basically said, wouldn't that be the great equalizer if reincarnation was real? And in the sense that some of these children's stories especially have recounted. In other words, that the person who's a misogynist in this life may be born as a female in the next life. Or the person who is racist may be born as the race that they hate against in another life, and so on and so forth. I mean, it does give you pause for thought that if we're learning lessons, and if we're going down the quantum leap path, that depending on how you treat people in this life, you may end up in their shoes in another life. Like I say, uh, it's always fascinated me. And again, um, reincarnation is not for everyone, but it would be a fascinating surprise, wouldn't it? Would it, would it not be a surprise for those who look down on others because they're poor, or they're another race, or they're another sex, or they don't think the same way as them, they don't believe in their religion, if in the next life they ended up in the opposite person's shoes? I've always found that very fascinating. A bit of a Twilight Zone twist in our existence. So with those things being covered over, folks, I do have a few very quick shout-outs. Now, the very first one here is for Shambra in the UK. So Shambra is our UK chapter president of the Paranormal Sun on the Isle of Wight. 
and Chambra. I hope you had a great birthday. It was recently Chambra's birthday. Happy birthday. All the best from JT. And I hope that you had a great one. Uh, a close friend of the show who is very supportive, takes the time to check in on me quite a bit, is a friend of mine in Northern California, the modern day sorceress. So again, thank you so very much for taking the time to talk to me, checking in, making sure I'm all right. Like I say, folks, it's not been an easy time. This week is the anniversary of my mother's passing, and so it's always difficult. And I get that other people have dealt with a lot more things in their life and a lot bigger emotional things and everything else. And I do realize that there are people out there with the tough love angle that say, oh, well, you know, you just need to move on. Well, that's great, but we all process things in different ways. And that's why going through some of these things in my life, I've done my best not to judge others when they struggle with something that may be simple for me. And the loss of my mother has really left a a um, void in my life that I've struggled to close. And it, it, it'll it always be there. That's my feeling. The, the ones that were very close to my mom in her life that she lost, she never got over it. And I don't think I ever will either. And that's fine. I mean, it doesn't mean that I can't function. It doesn't mean that I can't live. But, you know, I'm always going to miss her. She's always going to be in the front of my mind. And the third one is another podcast that I've been listening to recently, which is also from California. And it's called Searching. Paranormal Topics, Theories, and Answers, and it's hosted by the lovely Chelsea and Brian, who are a married couple. Now, I've only got a chance to listen to a few episodes, but they've been excellent to talk to on Instagram. I think you know by, by now, folks, especially if you've listened to a few of my interviews, that I enjoy a good conversation on the topics that I discuss, and it really has been a lifelong passion of mine. So we've had a few discussions about a few different things. And they've had some excellent episodes out there, and there's many more for me to check into. Now, in one of the episodes that I was recently listening to, they hinted that Brian's father had been involved at Rendlesham Forest, so that he was an MP at Rendlesham Forest at Bentwaters, I want to say, because there's Bentwaters and Woodbridge, and I think Bentwaters was where the U.S. soldiers were based, and Woodbridge was the RAF equivalent. But anyway, um, in these early episodes, which were from around September of last year, of 2020, Brian was mentioning uh, a bit of his father being involved, and that maybe one day they would be able to get his father on to tell his side of things. So it immediately, obviously, perked my interest. Yes, uh, Rendlesham Forest is one of the most famous UFO cases, uh, especially one of the most famous that didn't happen in the U.S. So I'll be... If if that is the case, and if they've already recorded it, I'll make sure to give you folks a synopsis on it. But yeah, anyway, go over there and check that out if uh, that's something that interests you. It's just searching, and then colon, paranormal topics, theories, and answers. And it's, like I say, it's a very good program, I feel. I think that they've done a great job, especially from day one, from the time that I listened to the trailer. Their quality was excellent, so... Good job, Chelsea and Brian, and keep it up. Now I've got two more quick shout-outs here for you. So the first one is to my mom. Mom, wherever you are, I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you've got to reconnect with all the loved ones who went before you, and I do hope very much that you're proud of me. I hope that you appreciate the things that I've done in life and how far I've come. And I know that I couldn't have done those things without you. 
So I'll forever be appreciative for everything you taught me and never giving up on me, always having the support for me. Mom, I know multiple times in my life when no one else had my back, no one else supported me, you were always there for me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And no matter where you are, I hope that you can hear these words or at the very least understand uh, the appreciation that I have for everything that you gave me in my life. And the other shout out, my friends, is to you, the listeners. Thank you so much, wherever you are in the world, for listening to me. I've got a booming audience in India, so thank you very much to everyone in India who's been listening. I've had some recent listeners in Nepal and Bangladesh as well. And welcome aboard. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening to the program. Like I say, each and every one of you are the ones who motivate me to keep doing what I do every week. Now, as for next week, I will be doing something Irish-themed. I'm not decided yet, but I'm going to just have to kick myself in the backside and get up and get something produced. Like I say, I'm not making excuses, folks. It's just hard at this time of year for me to get overly motivated just because my mind is in overdrive, thinking about the past, uh, thinking about the time that I spent with my mom and also other loved ones who have passed and gone before. But I'll have something for you in time for St. Patrick's Day, and hopefully it's something that meets your high standards as my listening audience. So with all of those things being said, now we're going to get into the news of the damned, and this is an extra large edition today. We've got quite a few articles for you, and I tried to have a good spread of things. For those of you who may be new to the program, there was a gentleman in the early 1900s named Charles Fort, and Charles Fort is one of the first persons who really took the time to gather and collect information from all over the globe on a lot of these anomalous phenomena, everything from ghost ships to lights in the sky to sea serpents and so on and so forth. And he gathered all of these things on note cards and then later transferred them into books and wrote several books on the subjects along with his personal thoughts, observations, and theories. So this man, Charles Fort, referred to any item that was excluded or ignored by mainstream science as damned data. Therefore, every time we do a news segment, it is the news of the damned in honor of Charles Fort. And as always, folks, for those of you who, again, may be new, uh, may not know, I always put a link to these articles in the show notes so that you can go and check out the article yourself if you would like. So the first article tonight is that end of the world tie-in. So another chapter president of the Paranormal Sun and a close friend of the show and a big supporter, uh, Skinwalker in New York had been posting a countdown every day on their social media, on their Instagram account, saying, uh, talking about asteroid Apophis and its close brush by the Earth and having a countdown to when this was going to happen. And I joked a few times that, you know, hopefully I, I would, you know, send like gifts of like someone sweating in nervousness. But obviously it is something serious because it just takes a little bit of deflection to mean the difference between it flying by and us basically being in a world of hurt, literally. 
So this article comes from Fox News 8, and this one was from the 5th of March, and it looks like it was originally from the Wall Street Journal. So it says, a large asteroid soared through the night sky on Friday. According to EarthSky, the asteroid Apophis passed by the Earth around 8.15 p.m. on Friday night. The asteroid was said to be approximately 10.4 million miles away as it harmlessly passed by Earth. Apophis was nearly 44 times as far away as the moon. That's still extremely close in celestial terms. This is reportedly the closest Apophis has been to the Earth in years. Since Apophis is reported within range of earthly telescopes and radar, astronomers tracked its movement. The Virtual Telescope Project held a viewing session for Apophis as it passed. Apophis was discovered in 2004. So see, this was only discovered, folks, in the very recent past. Uh, as I mean, it was discovered the same year I came to New Zealand, so it's not been that long. And it says, initial calculations indicated there was a small possibility the asteroid could impact Earth in 2029. Scientists have since ruled out any possible impact in 2029. Instead, they predict the asteroid will safely pass about 19,800 miles from Earth's surface. While that is a safe distance, it is possible that Apophis could come between Earth and the Moon. EarthSky says Apophis is not expected to strike Earth during this century. Now, folks... I do stay positive, but um, do you really think if it was going to strike the Earth and they knew it was going to strike the Earth, they would tell us? I sure don't. I don't think they would tell us that it was going to strike the Earth in eight years. They may be behind the scenes trying to figure out how they're going to stop it or whatever, but I highly doubt they're going to come out and tell humanity, hey, this is going to hit. We don't know where it's going to hit, but there's a very good chance it's going to hit in 2029. It would be freaking chaos, folks, because everybody and anybody out there, there would be two camps. There would be the the people who would say, well, let's wait and see. But then there would definitely be the camp that would say, well, let's basically burn it down in these eight years and just live life to the fullest and just basically extinguish this planet as best as we can, use everything up, uh, you know, do whatever we want in the meanwhile. So I would suggest that there's no chance they would tell us. If they were going to tell us, I would say it would be much closer to the event to limit this kind of madness. So we'll see, and hopefully we don't have to have this conversation in eight years, my friends. I really, really hope we don't. So again, folks, there's a link in the show notes to the article. And again, thank you very much to Skinwalker in New York for giving me the idea to make sure that I covered that over and reminding everyone how close this asteroid had gotten. Now, here's the next one, and this is an interesting one. So one of the things that's been going on while I've been doing the show, and I've kind of seen it going on in the background, but I haven't necessarily looked into it too much, was there have been a series of UFO sightings in Las Vegas, and quite a few of them. Now, one of those, I'm in a group on Facebook. I can't remember the group off the top of my head, but there's a guy in there who keeps saying that there was an attempted abduction on him by aliens, entities, creatures, whatever you may like to refer to them as during this Las Vegas event. Now, I haven't gone too much further into it simply because he's just got photos and photos of the lights in the sky and that. And it's easy to sit back and laugh at people when they say things like that. But as I say, folks, as far as I'm personally concerned on this program, on the Paranormal Sun, it's extremely hypocritical for me to say, 
well, I believe in uh, ghosts, or I believe in this cryptid, or I believe in that because of my experiences, but you're completely insane that you believe in that. Uh, to me, it doesn't do this genre any good to go around saying, well, I'm right and you're wrong. Now, some people I get, they come at this and they say, well, we've got to be credible and you know we want to dissuade people from saying crazy things because it makes us all look bad. Hey, that's fine. But the reality is none of this is proven. Uh, as much as I love these subjects, no one has displayed a living or dead Bigfoot that we know of. No one's shown proof of that. No one has showed us a crash saucer at the Smithsonian to say to us, okay, here's this crash saucer. It came from Zeta Reticuli or whatever. So what I'm saying is in this field, people already, there are people in the mainstream who already think we're crazy for talking about any of it. So I see very little dis difference from some of the experiences I've had in my life and some of the things that I've had that may be a little bit closer to the social norm as opposed to saying someone tried to abduct me. That's what I'm getting at. So I just haven't dug too much further into it, but uh, I do have an article here about those Las Vegas sightings. So this one is from Channel 3 in Memphis, Tennessee. And again, folks, a lot of times, I mean, you may say, well, why don't you have something from Las Vegas? A lot of these stories get picked up and it's kind of the same story repeated everywhere. So I just use Dr. Google, and when I find an article that seems close enough, then that's what we go with. So this one says, what were those mysterious lights over Las Vegas? And it's got a photo of these lights. And these lights were quite interesting. They did look similar to the Phoenix lights. Similar. So this is from Duncan Phoenix, and it was posted on the 3rd of March. And it says, Mystery Wire, a truly mysterious series of lights were seen by people in the Las Vegas Valley, earlier this week. The lights, as seen in several videos and photographs, appeared over Las Vegas around 7.30 p.m. Note the time, uh, very similar time to the Phoenix lights uh, later in the evening. Monday, March 1st, people on different sides of the city have reported seeing them. In the video and pictures, you can clearly see four to eight lights. While hard to tell, most of the lights appear to be floating without much movement. One witness to the spectacle was Melanie Smith, she lives on the fourth floor of a building a couple of miles south of the Las Vegas Strip. She says she saw the lights appear twice between 7.30 and 8.30 p.m. So she's got a video, folks, and I'm just going to click on that video while I read you a little bit more. Okay, folks, so I've watched a little bit of that video, and before getting any further into this, I would strongly suggest that you go and check out this video because it's definitely something. So it says, in her video, she is recording looking north. You can see seven lights at first, which is, yeah, that's what I saw. Four grouped together to the left of her view, west. Another light is seen lower than the others, and two more to the right. In her second video, she notices an eighth light that appears only for a few seconds. But as she says in the recording, it looks like it was on fire. In another video posted to Twitter, the person who recorded this video writes, it looked like the lights were over Circa in downtown Las Vegas. Mystery Wire contacted Circa and were told it had nothing to do with the lights in the sky, as you would fully expect. Another video posted to the Contact Tour 1 Twitter feed shows the lights from someone recording in the southeast part of the valley looking to the northwest. And this is the one that I saw that looked very much like the Phoenix lights. It's four lights pretty much equidistant apart. 
and this is the one that reminded me of the Phoenix Lights. Mystery Wire was able to locate the same location where this video was recorded. It is from Horizon Ridge Parkway near Horizon Drive. In a daytime Google Maps image, you can see the same street signs and view overlooking the valley. Nellis Air Force Base is on the right of this view on the other side of the large mountain peak, approximately 15 miles away. There have been several comments online that the lights were military flares from Nellis jets. We contacted Nellis and have yet to receive a response. Stephen Demeter emailed Mystery Wire these three photographs from the far southern part of the valley. He wrote, We took these pics last night around 8 p.m. on Monday. We are in the club at Madaria Canyon and look north to the airport and the Strip. Demeter's son-in-law also emailed us about his pictures of the lights. He told us he works with the Department of Homeland Security and said his mother-in-law, who was with Stephen, said she saw a mass behind the lights, like it was one large object and not separate aircraft. This man also told us he has experience with military flares, both aerial and artillery launched, and he does not think these resemble them at all. Wednesday afternoon, the Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA, did respond, writing the lights seen from Las Vegas Valley were flares from the northwestern military ranges. The Air Force does, does use the airspace on the north end of the Las Vegas Valley to fly between Nellis Air Force Base and Creech Air Force Base, which is approximately 40 miles northwest of Las Vegas. Okay, folks, well, this one's interesting for a few reasons. It definitely harkens back to the Phoenix Lights to me. You've got lights over a very populated city, and Vegas is a city where many people are up and about at night. Uh, you have an area in Las Vegas that's very clear, so it's easy to see things in the night sky. I mean, yes, of course, they have clouds there, but not to the preponderance of a lot of other areas of the country because of the geographical location of Las Vegas. Now, I do find it interesting that almost immediately the FAA has come out and said, yeah, flares, nothing to see here. Uh, look, I could be wrong, folks, but this looks very interesting. It looks very similar to the Phoenix Lights. So either the Phoenix Lights were flares and this is flares or there's smoke here. There's something else to it. And again, like I say, I find it interesting that there have been several people come out not just the gentleman in this article, but there have been several people come out, including ex-military, who have said, those aren't flares. Sorry, they aren't flares. And I get that perception can be difficult, you know, when you're viewing things at night at a distance. But if this truly was anywhere near the Strip, why was the Air Force firing off flares? I get that there's a military base in the background, but multiple people from multiple directions have said this was near the Strip downtown. So what were these flares doing 15 miles away from where they should have been? So anyway, folks, it's an interesting one. It is definitely one to keep an eye on, and I will do so for you. And I'll double back if anything more sensational comes out of this case. And like I say, I, if it was me, folks, I would advise you to at least go and look at the videos in this link. It won't take you very long, but it will give you an idea to see exactly what they're talking about and to what I'm talking about. Now, folks, the next one is quite an interesting little story. It popped up, I think, over the past weekend in the U.S., and I've been following it a bit off and on, but I always get a smile on my face when I hear that celebrities 
have sighted UFOs. And the reason that I do is that, like I said, when I dealt with the Miley Cyrus sighting in Hawaii, I think it was in Hawaii, but it wasn't too long ago. It was a few months ago. I have this feeling it's a double-edged sword. So it's great that they're mentioning it. But on the other hand, a lot of times people instantly say they don't have credibility because they're a celebrity. So this person is an NFL starting quarterback. So to my friend Connor at Bigfoot Anonymous, Connor's a big Browns fan, and this was Baker Mayfield. Now, for those of you who don't know much about the NFL or know who this is, Baker Mayfield is from, I believe he's from Texas, and it's the offseason right now, so he's at home. So he tweeted, almost 100%, M and I just saw a UFO drop straight out of the sky on our way home for, from dinner. We stopped and looked at each other and asked if either of us saw it. Very bright ball of light going straight down out of the sky toward Lake Travis. Anybody else witnessed this? Question mark. Now that was on the 4th, so that was six days ago. So yeah, that was around Tuesday. So that would have been Tuesday, Monday in the U.S. of last week. Now, this has kind of evolved into a bit of a feud between him and Colin Cowherd, who's a, uh, he's not on ESPN, I don't think, but he's got his own uh, sports talk uh, program. And Colin basically doesn't think Baker Mayfield is a franchise quarterback. So he basically seizes any reason to say that he isn't. And we'll get into that very shortly. But in, interestingly enough, in the comments of Baker's tweet, there's all of exactly what we see when we talk about UFOs and how people are talked about. So there's a comment saying, there are no extraterrestrial visitors here. Why with our global tracking and satellite imagery, nothing is captured? Now that's a fair comment, but uh, again, I am sick and tired of people saying, oh, there's, they're, they're not here. If you want to say, my feeling is that they aren't here, or we haven't had any proof in their mind, that's fine. But the arrogance of people constantly saying, there's nothing here. You don't know. Uh, you're, are, are you the omnipotent being? I, I'm so sick and tired of people saying definitively it's this or it's that or I know. You don't know shit, all right? In the grand scheme of the universe, you know jack shit. None of us as humans do. So just reel in your attitude. I'm just sick and tired of it. People saying definitively, oh, it can't be. What do you know? What do you really know? In the in the grand scheme of how the universe works, you, I, and everyone else's opinions, thoughts, and conjecture on the matter really don't amount to a hill of beans. It's great to have your own thoughts and to have your own opinions, but again, I'm so tired of people talking definitively. You don't know, all right, buddy? So just shut up. And I'm sorry, folks, I get a bit animated about these kind of things, but I'm just tired of people telling me, you, and the rest of the world what something is when they aren't even the ones who saw it. Now, the next the next little thing in the comments was that somebody, hey, capitalism at its finest, they've already rushed out and they've got a, a shirt and it's got a picture of the Cleveland football stadium and it's got a football floating in the air above it and it says, I want to believe. So, hey, you know, like a UFO floating over the stadium, but it's a football. And then here we go. Um, and then somebody says what I fully agree with. That's the problem with people. Nobody believes you. I do. I'm from the future, and we laugh at how primitive humans are. In the future, we drink coffee and liquor with our alien homeboys. So they're having a bit of a laugh about it. But at the same time, they're stating the obvious, that if you come out and say something, the people who don't believe you are the vocal 
minority. There might be plenty of people like you and many of the listeners who, sorry, like me and many of you listeners who who agree he might have saw something. But we aren't the ones out there waving our pitchforks and torches and telling him he's crazy. And then here we go. Here's the religious extreme part. Uh, And again, I'm not attacking anyone's religion, but again, big dog, no such thing as aliens, but fallen angels and angels are real. Just read Ezekiel. What he describes in the Bible is what people are seeing today. Now, again, that's fine. That's your opinion. But again, someone's stating it as fact. Um, Sorry, but if that's your faith, that is fine. But it doesn't make it a fact. That's you just basically you state, I believe, as per Ezekiel, blah, 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 blah. Again, it's just an annoyance of mine of people constantly saying, this is how it is. You don't know. And then there's another one. In the Old Testament, there were giants before the flood. Guess what? That's a fact, Jack. They found that they found the ark and Sodom and Gomorrah where God rained down fire and brimstone. And guess what? That place is all sulfur and nothing. But but it you won't find another place on earth like that. So again, people verily coming out and saying that my religion, my beliefs are right and yours are wrong. And again, that's fine. I've got nothing wrong with anyone having faith. But just allow other people to have their own thoughts, okay? So then it says, my wife and I saw the same flash of light five months ago driving at night, and we both said, did you see that? It was a cluster of three and moved at a speed ten times faster than a commercial airplane. It was unexplainable. If I didn't see it myself, I would raise an eyebrow. So again, they are saying exactly what so many people have said, seeing is believing. When you see something yourself, you tend to believe it much more. Well, anyway, sorry for the bit of a diatribe and the detour, but I just wanted to give you an idea of what goes on in a lot of these threads. And a lot of it is the reason that I don't go on Twitter a lot, folks, because it's very toxic. There are some supportive people, but there's so many people out there telling you what you saw or what, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just over arguing with people who know what you saw better than you do. Uh, So here we are. Here is a bit of a follow-up to that story. And this is from two days ago. So this says, Neil deGrasse Tyson weighs in on Brown's QB Baker Mayfield UFO sighting. Colin called in the big guns, so this is Colin Cowherd. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson joined Colin Cowherd on Friday to discuss the hot topic of outer space trending on social media after Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield tweeted about an alleged UFO sighting. Sorry, ET fans, Tyson isn't yet convinced that aliens exist. Now you see, okay, this is the difference. Tyson isn't convinced. That's fine. Okay, that is him personally. Rather than sitting there and saying, oh, it's impossible. And he is saying me on my personal level, I'm not convinced. In my mind, that is a skeptic. That is what we want. A true skeptic who questions things versus a debunker who says, oh, it's impossible because it doesn't fit my paradigm and it doesn't fit my thought pattern. So these are the type of people that I respect. Even if they don't believe the same as I do, I've got respect for a scientist like this. I think if there were aliens visiting, the amateur astronomy community would catch it immediately. People you know the night people who know the night sky like the back of their hand, and they are called amateur astronomers. And they do, folks, all the time. People see these things all the time. But they don't come forward. I've seen interview after interview, I've seen written accounts of this. The people don't come forward because they're afraid of being ridiculed. And also, as an amateur astronomer, they feel that 
once they say that they've seen a UFO, anything else that they've seen will not be taken credibly. So they've, of course, they've got a reason not to talk about this stuff. So then it says, according to Tyson, what Mayfield saw was likely a type of meteor called a bolide. Now, I've heard of bolide meteors, and many of you who follow, look into the UFO uh, category would have heard of a bolide meteor. So what he should do is go look at what meteors look like, and most of them look like simple shooting stars, but the occasional bigger one is called a bolide, and they flash through the sky, and at the end, sometimes they explode. Despite Mayfield's mischaracterization, Tyson thought Colin was a little too hard on the QB on Thursday, and I agree. And by the way, if you see a UFO, it just means you didn't know what it was. That's what the U stands for, unidentified. So it's not a problem if your quarterback sees something in the sky, and they don't know what it is. What else are they going to call it but a UFO? So give them a break. Apparently, Tampa Bay quarterback Tom Brady also thought Cowherd was a bit harsh, as he took to Twitter to have some fun at Colin's expense. So Colin says... Joe Montana, Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, and Tom Brady have never seen aliens. I would prefer my guys don't talk about it. And then it says, How do you know I've never seen aliens, Colin? So that's Tom Brady replying. Colin loved it, starting with the acknowledgement from the seven-time Super Bowl champion and said that because he has more than a handful of rings, Brady can see and say whatever he wants. Tom Brady, to me, has broken through a barrier. He's so great. He's such a great leader. He's so dependable. He wins so much. He's so exemplary. Tom Brady plays by different rules. Another Super Bowl champion, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, had an alleged UFO sighting of his own back in 2005. He shared that story with with Pat McAfee in September. And then um, the UFO quarterback club is now popping with the trio of Mayfield, Brady, and Rodgers. That's some serious star power. Okay, so again, here are my thoughts. Generally, I like Colin Cowherd. He is... I don't know where he's from originally, but I know he follows the Seahawks, and I'm a Seahawks fan, and he puts a lot of comment commentary out there in and around the team that I find useful, and I generally like Cowherd's takes, but this is obviously a bit of a feud situation. He just doesn't like Baker Mayfield. I don't know if it's as a quarterback or personally, but he's going to take any anything that he can about Mayfield and basically try and turn it to a negative. Now, that's all well and good, and I guess he feels he's safe by making fun of UFOs and anyone who sees a UFO. But like I say, okay, look here, Colin, I think that you, like I say, I, I think that you do a great job, and I appreciate what you do in the sports venue, but I guess Ronald Reagan is a nutter. I guess that Jimmy Carter was a nutter. I guess that all these other famous people throughout the years and like I say, contrary to what popular opinion will show you, we're not only talking about people like musicians and social media influencers. We're talking about some very high up people in very many places around the world that have seen UFOs and are convinced that there's something else besides our own technology. And again, he wants to have a crack at uh, Baker Mayfield for whatever reason, and that's fine. That's his choice. But this, again, this just goes to show why people stay quiet on these things. Because you're going to be mocked and ridiculed by someone who has a larger soapbox than you. And even in this, like I say, we're talking about sports, okay? Whether he sees UFOs or he doesn't see UFOs has got nothing to do with his ability to perform on the field. Now, I'm going to let you all in on a little secret, folks. 
Again, it's nothing personal. I don't know the man. I've not been a fan of Baker Mayfield either. I personally, whatever it is, I haven't sat down and listened to a lot of his own stuff. The way he has been presented to me, he is not the person that I would want to emulate in my life. And again, it doesn't mean that he's a bad person. It's just he's a bit brash for me, okay? I guess that's the way to put it. He's a bit brash. He's a bit cocky. Now, again, he's young, and he's got to live his own life. I'm not saying he shouldn't live his own life. I'm just saying that he hasn't necessarily been my cup of tea either. However, after this sighting, he has gone up in my estimation while Colin has gone down in my estimation. And that's saying something, like I say. So, again, you've had... Okay, Tom Brady is obviously very intelligent. Anyone who has listened to anything he's had to say, he's no dummy. And then, again, Aaron Rodgers, he's no dummy. I mean, this guy is highly intelligent. We're not talking about that old stereotype of a, a hick that just plays a sport and throws a football around and they're not intelligent. These guys are extremely intelligent, smarter than I am, and obviously much more rich and famous. But the bottom line is, how do we know Joe Montana hasn't seen a UFO? How do we know Terry Bradshaw hasn't seen a UFO or Troy Aikman? And just because they keep it quiet doesn't mean that they're great people like Colin. Oh, I prefer they don't say anything. The reason that they stay quiet is because people like Colin Cowherd will come out and make fun of them. And I feel that most of these people who see these things are just like you and I. They just want an answer. They're not saying it's aliens. And he never said all he said was it's a UFO. And like Tyson DeGrasse says, all it means is that he's seen something in the sky he can't identify. That's all it comes down to. So again, uh, I know the odds of Colin Cowherd ever hearing this are about zero. And again, Colin, I appreciate everything that you do in the sports venue. But just don't add to that media bias of thinking everyone who sees a UFO is crap, okay? Or they're crazy or something else. It doesn't do anyone any good. And I get that that might be your feeling, and that's fine. But I will have you remember that the whole modern-day UFO stuff started in Washington State with Kenneth Arnold sightings. Now, maybe you think he was insane as well. But just because people see stuff in the sky doesn't make them bad people or doesn't make them any less intelligent than someone else. Like I say, I point to Ronald Reagan. I point to Jimmy Carter. I point to some of these other extremely intelligent people who have seen lights in the sky that they can't understand and they can't explain. So that's it as far as the Baker Mayfield thing. I'll keep you updated if anything else comes out, but it's highly unlikely it will. It's probably going to be just like that Aaron Rodgers one. Okay, uh, basically, he sees something and it just goes down in history that he saw it, but it's not like the military is going to come out and tell him that they were flying a top secret craft on that night or something just to make him feel better. So again, folks, I just wanted you to see that it's not just the average man of you and I seeing things in the sky. There are lots of famous people all over the world that see these same things. Okay, folks, now on to the next subject, and hopefully I can stay a bit calmer this time. But yeah, like I say, it's it's just me. It's just the way I'm wired. Just have some respect for someone. Just because you don't agree with what they say they saw or whatever doesn't mean you need to go out of your way to attack them. Now, granted, it was pretty tame in comparison to some of the things I've seen said about other people, but nonetheless. Now, this one's from Coast to Coast AM. And long-term followers of the program will know that I have 
definitely covered a lot of stuff off of coasttocoastam.com. And this one, as always, is from Tim Banal. And this one specifically goes out to that friend of mine, Modern Day Sorceress, and also to Skinwalker, because I know you're both really into cryptids. And this is a very interesting one. So this one says, Photos of puzzling mystery creatures have Brazilian social media buzzing. And this is from March the 8th, uh, so just a couple days ago. So it says, A pair of curious photographs purportedly emanating from Brazil have caused something of a stir on social media in the country, as the images appear to show mysterious bipedal creatures roaming the streets of a community. According to a local media report, the curious pictures appeared online in Brazil earlier this month and quickly spread like wildfire. The story that became attached to the photos is that they were taken at a beach pavilion by the name of Iha de Misericordia on the island of Itaparica. In the first of the two images, a diminutive creature sporting noticeably long arms and somewhat resembling a chimpanzee can be standing in, seen standing in a street. The second photo shows what one assumes are two adults and a juvenile creature, all of which also look fairly small and rather ape-like, though they are cast in shadow. People sharing the photos online in Brazil claim that these monsters prowl the streets of Iha de Misericordia, which has led some to suspect that this is a clever way of trying to scare residents into adhering to a coronavirus-related curfew in the community. Another theory for the nature of the creatures is that they may possibly be wild chimps or some other kind of diminutive primates that had their curiosity piqued by the barren pavilion and decided to explore the area. And of course, there are imaginative observers who already contend that the mysterious interlopers are of the cryptid variety as well, and also understandably skeptics who contend that the photos are probably just a hoax. To that end, a photo analyst enlisted by media outlet in Brazil determined that, at the very least, the photos were not doctored in any way and that they were likely taken recently. However, there appears to be Arabic writing on a sign in the first photo, which would apparently upend the entire tale that the pictures were taken in Iha de Miscordia. With, what, with that in mind, there's a high likelihood that, as is often the case with such viral images, the story surrounding the photos is a fabrication that took on a life of its own before anyone could figure that out. And then it has got these photos and commentary in Portuguese. So this is interesting, folks, and it does look very much like a chimpanzee as far as the height, long arms, so arms that nearly touch the ground. And there's a photo of one on the left, and then the other photo here has got two walking with what looks like a juvenile in between. So it is interesting, and I'm interested to see if this is not real, like if this didn't happen in Brazil and it didn't happen at the time that it was claimed. I am interested to see where the original photo may come from and how this all came about. So yeah, interesting nonetheless, folks. And I always do try and keep an eye on cryptid stories. I've been covering the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger one for you. And I just thought this one would be a little bit different. And as often, I don't read these articles before I read them for the program. So you and I are discovering it at the same time. So again, link in the show notes if you would like to see one of those pictures. Now, the next article is about a man who is very near and dear to my heart. I never met this gentleman, but he if it wasn't for him, there was a significant part in my life that wouldn't have happened. And I know it sounds a bit over the top, but there's a man named Richard Garriott, 
And he is the man who started, who created and started the Ultima series of video games. Now, some of you older school fans of the show may very well have heard of Ultima Online. I played UO for many years, uh, probably about six to eight years all up. Uh, I played in the U.S., I played here, and I haven't played for quite a while. But Richard Garriott is the man who founded UO, and so I have I know a fair bit about him. And yeah, it's just one of those things where UO was the first really big MMORPG before World of Warcraft. It was the first one in the world to have 100,000 people online at once, which sounds like nothing now, but back then that was quite a big deal. And... Yeah, I really enjoyed my time in UO. I met a lot of friends. Unfortunately, I don't really catch up with many of them nowadays, but I met a lot of really good people through UO that I wish uh, nothing but the best for. And yeah, I really enjoyed my time, like I say on there. So that's a little bit of an aside. I realize that there'll be lots of people listening to this going, what in the hell is UO or Ultima Online? But yeah, it's it's uh, it was just at the time it was the latest, greatest thing out there. Now, this article about Richard Garriott, and that's the reason why I chose it, is that it says astronaut explorer Richard Garriott makes record-breaking dive to the deepest point on Earth. I'm a bit disappointed they didn't refer to him as Lord British. And this is from Robert Z. Perlman, and this is from LiveScience.com. So it says the son of a NASA astronaut and a video game pioneer who previously traversed both the North and South Poles and found and funded his own trip on the International Space Station, I knew about that, Garriott completed a dive to Challenger Deep, the lowest point on Earth, on March 1st. Well, I would argue that it's the lowest point we know for sure. I'm the first person to go pole to pole, space, and deep, and the second person, first male, to go space to deep. So he's saying going from outer space to the deepest point of the Earth underwater. Garriott told Collect Space in a call while still at sea on Tuesday, March 2nd. Garriott, who is the incoming president of the Explorers Club, now that's pretty cool, I didn't know that, made the dive on board the Limiting Factor, the first commercially certified full ocean depth deep submergence vehicle that was developed and funded by undersea explorer Victor Vescovo. It was aboard the first submersible with Vescovo as pilot that former NASA astronaut Kathy Sullivan, Sullivan became the first space explorer and first woman to dive to Challenger Deep in August of 2020. I was wondering why I hadn't heard of that, and it's because it was fairly recently, and it was in the middle of the pandemic. Like Sullivan, Garriott made a trip as part of a series of dives aimed at surveying the Mariana Trench and collecting scientific samples. Garriott, together with his friend Michelle Dubno, who was mid-dive... Sorry, it's not Michelle, It's I think it's Michael... Dubno, who was mid-dive when Garriott called from the surface support ship the pressure drop, also brought along their own set of engineering and artistic experiments for the journey. CollectSpace.com spoke with Garriott about his record-setting dive and the similarities it shared with his other adventures around and off the world. This interview has been edited for length and clarity, it says. Now, this interview is quite long, folks, so I'm not going to take the time to go through and read it to you, but there's a link in the show notes. Uh, it's, I mean, we'd be here another 15 minutes, me reading this interview, but nonetheless fascinating to me. And for those of you who don't know who Richard Garriott is, 
he made his money, like I said, in creating Ultima and, you know, working on video games. And then he's gone out and done some things that he felt are very important, like go into space and go to the bottom of the ocean. So, yeah, interesting article. Like I say, interviews, interesting interview. And that's a very cool bit of information that I didn't plan for respect to women, uh, you know, International Women's Day, which is that the first person in history that went from outer space to the deepest part of the ocean was a woman. So there you go. There's something pretty cool. Now we're going to move on to the next article here, which is another UFO one. And this one is called Video, and this is from Coast to Coast. Video, odd UFO spotted over Wichita, Wichita, Kansas. And again from Tim Benol. And it says, what seems to be something of a mass UFO sighting occurred in the city of Wichita, Kansas last week and sparked debate among residents over what the odd object could have been. According to a local television station, the incident took place on Thursday afternoon and spawned hundreds of reports from bewildered witnesses. Although several observers managed to capture footage of the oddity and shared their videos on social media, discerning what exactly had caused such a stir is rather difficult. By and large, witnesses reported seeing a bright, fast-moving object that one individual argued was not an airplane. We see airplanes all the time. We're near the airport, said resident Mike Marler. It was def definitely different. In an admirable, albeit misguided, attempt to get to the bottom of the mystery, TV station KAKE actually dispatched reporter Eli Hingis to fly over the city in a small plane. However, by the time he took to the sky, the object was long gone, as you can expect. Alas, speculation surrounding what the UFO could have been largely centered around two down-to-earth possibilities and not an extraterrestrial hypothesis. The first suspect is a strange-looking NASA aircraft known as the Super Guppy, which just so happened to be in Wichita at the time. Well, there's, uh, there's an Occam's Razor moment for you. An even more prosaic possibility put forward by astute residents is that the UFO was just a banner advertisement for the fast food chain Arby's. I wonder if Arby's paid to get in this uh, article, which was also seen in the area on Thursday. For his part, Marler acknowledged the rumors that it was an Arby's advertisement plane and conceded that, you know, logic would point to that. However, he did sound and he did sound entirely convinced, pointing out that the object was really fast moving. So they've had a bit of a typo there. They meant to say, however, he did not sound entirely convinced. It was really bright and vivid, and then it just disappeared. Setting aside his misgivings, as he astutely observed, the most plausible explanation for the UFO was either the Super Guppy or the banner ad or some combination of the two, fueling confusion on the ground. Well, I can't say case closed, but I'd say, from what they're saying, 95% closed. But nonetheless, I just wanted to have another article there, this time from not such a big place like Las Vegas or LA or some of these other cities I've covered, just to show you that again, folks, these sightings occur all over the world. Now, again, always bear in mind that the fact that something is a UFO doesn't mean that it's an alien craft. All the term UFO actually means is there's something in the sky and you don't know what it is. So we got one more here for you, and this one is from Mysterious Universe, and this is another UFO one. And again, this is just to show you how often these are sighted all over the world. Cyclist records UFO while on hard ride high on a Venezuelan mountain. And this is from Paul Seaburn on March the 7th. 
plenty of people spot UFOs while driving. Many see them while walking their dogs. Both of those are activities that offer opportunities to glance at the sky. That's generally not the case with serious cyclists who need to watch the pavement for potholes, the road for cars and other bikers, and the space in front of their faces for bugs and birds. Fortunately, a serious cyclist in Venezuela known as Belga Bike, you know, you'll find out why shortly, tired while biking up a Venezuelan mountain and stopping to take some photos of fellow cyclists, some of whom had a daytime UFO over their head. What's more, this isn't the first time Belga Bike has seen things on this mountain. Time to grease up your old huffy and go UFO hunting. I was riding my bicycle about seven kilometers from the summit of La Culata before a sector called La Cana, ending Alto Viento. I stopped because I was tired and took the opportunity to take some photos of a group of more than 40 cyclists with whom I was going. Then I continued my route, but at no time did I see anything strange. Pascal Mulebrock told Ovinas de Venezuela, UFOs of Venezuela, he was riding in an area known as Paramo La Cualta in the city of Meridia, located in the center of the Venezuelan Andes. The perfect place for this 59-year-old Belgian cyclist to pursue the lifelong mountain biking passion that has earned him the nickname Belga Bike. Well, Belgian Bike. Makes sense. The day was February 28th. The time was about 10 a.m. and Belga Bike was beat, so he stopped and took some photos. While he has seen things on the mountain, he didn't see any on that day until he got home and looked at his photographs. For me, it was a great surprise, and the worst thing is that I almost deleted that photo. Fortunately, Pascal didn't delete it. Instead, he posted the photo on social media, where it was picked up by Ovinis de Venezuela, which got the facts from Belga Bike and posted the original photo, a, maxi a maximum magnification and a negative image of it showing the UFO's tilted saucer shape. See it here. So I'm just going to click on that link while I continue to read here for you so I can look at the photo at the end. The strange object could be a balloon or a drone, but Pascal said he's seen plenty of strange things on that mountain while climbing and descending the 1.6 kilometer or 5,349 foot, so it's about a mile, altitude. Most people would see strange things pedaling to that height, but Mullenbrock's various social media pages show he's in pretty good shape for 59. He also seems smart enough not to speculate on what exactly his UFO may be. Well, again, like I say, folks, just because you see something doesn't mean it's obvious what it is. Preferring to let others ponder the pick in puzzlement. However, with the attention he's getting because of it, Pascal Mullenbrook will probably be photographing more strange things and could soon be known as Belga UFO. That's Belga UFO, not Belgoofoff. Or Belgoofo, sorry. It's <laughs> a bit silly, that one. So, yeah, folks, anyway, interesting. And it's just one of those things that, um, yeah, I've I, again, I find it interesting that people all over the world and in all walks of life see these things in the sky, for lack of a better term. Uh, so I'm just looking here. I want to see these photos. Okay, yeah, all right, that is pretty darn clear. In this photo, it's in the upper left-hand corner. And it looks like it's a disc with a cupola or a dome on it, like a clear plexiglass dome. It's not super clear, but yeah, it, it is pretty obvious what it is. Okay, well, when you look at the original photo, I can see why he would have missed it, because in the original photo, you can't see it. It's only in the zoom in, and I'm looking at it. 
Okay, it's weird. The first photo has got clouds, and the second photo doesn't. So the second photo, which doesn't look like it's zoomed in, it's pretty clear that there's something in the frame of the photo. But nonetheless, interesting. So if you want a link to that, I'll put a separate link to that in the show notes so you don't have to go into the article and then follow a link in the article over to that. So that's it for the news of the damn folks. And very shortly, we will be getting into the CIA files. So, folks, I'm not going to go too deep into the CIA files. Most of you who have been following along will know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to give you a very brief cliff notes. There's a gentleman named John Greenwald, and his website is called The Black Vault, and he's been around since the 90s, and he's got some fascinating stuff on The Black Vault. It's a great clearinghouse for a lot of government files, but also just people's theories, different conjecture, you name it. Well, anyway, uh, over the last few years, John has gathered a bunch of CIA documents that he has got through FOIA requests or Freedom of Information requests. Then he went through and he reformatted all of these documents into PDF form. So although not all of this is quote unquote new releases, it's new to us. And what I've been doing is going through and just randomly picking a few of these documents because they range from about 1954 from memory all the way up until the 2000s. So what I do is I just randomly will pick how many ever. Tonight's show I've got five and then I just go through and I read them. And just remember, if there's something you want to know about, if there's a certain document you want to know about, refer to it when you get in contact with me as document 15 or document 20. That's why I'm naming and numbering them all to make it easy for you and I when the time comes that you want to ask questions. If you'd like one of these documents, again, just send me the document number that you would like and I'm happy to email it to you. It's in a PDF format. So without further ado, we're going to get into it now. So here is document number 39. And again, folks, anything that I can't read because it's been blacked out, I'll just refer to as redacted. Some of these documents being very old, it is difficult to read some of this. So here we go. So this first one here is from, says Chief Chicago Office. So the Chief of the Chicago Office to Chief of the Contact Division Support. Case redacted. Attached is a memoranda for OSI relating to the attempts to recover the analysis of the tape. Also attached is a memorandum to the DCI and a suggested letter for him to send to Mr. Davidson. We have learned that this suggested form was accepted, was acceptable, and is being mailed. 2. Will you please advise Air Force of the action taken and ask them to follow through? It might be well to have a copy of the letter which they send to Davidson for our files. And then it says, uh, comment was made about the, looks like round, and then, unfortunately, the rest of it is redacted. So, yeah, this would be another one, I believe. I want to say Leon Davidson. I've talked about him in previous uh, episodes of this. This document, by the way, I just see it now. It says it's from the 10th of May, 1957. But this gentleman... Again, I think it was Leon Davidson. He was causing all kinds of trouble for the CIA and the Air Force, asking about wanting to know answers about these UFOs. And so there have been quite a few documents I've found that are internal correspondence, whether within the CIA 
or from the CIA to the Air Force or back to try and work out what they're going to tell this guy. Now, again, the OSI is what the CIA was referred to before the CIA. So it was the the Office of Strategic Intelligence. That's what OSI stands for. But just think of it as the precursor of the FBI, because that's what it was. And again, that is document number 39, a short and sweet one. So now we're going to move on to document 40, obviously. So this one is, okay, this is one of the ones that I've been covering over, which is basically the CIA monitoring world communications. So mainly things like television programs, radio programs, and they obviously were doing this for quite a while. And it's interesting finding for me because it just goes to show the width and the depth of the CIA surveillance of the world community at large. Uh, now, this one says uh, classified, unclassified, FBI's London, UK. So it's from London, UK. Subject, service, video compilation project number 100. Full text superzone of message. The following items have been filed. Uh, okay, that one is not very interesting, but here we go. Uh, M. Trust, Saratov Aircraft Plant Quality Control and Flying Saucer sent via slip number 482. Now, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Like, interesting phrase, I mean. So let's just see. We're just going to plug this into Dr. Google and see what may come up. Okay, so it takes us straight to a document on CIA. I'm just going to see. Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, that is the same document I'm just reading to you now. The other comment there is that EKIP from Wikipedia. So I'll just give you a brief overview. EKIP is the Soviet and Russian project of multifunctional aerodrome-free aircraft built according to the flying wing scheme with an elliptical-shaped fuselage, also known by its Russian nickname of Tarileka, meaning plate or saucer. An EKIP can land on water or unpaved ground. So, okay, so that's what that's about. And then there's another article down here from Aero Time, and it says how Russians tried to sell a flying saucer. So yeah, just interesting little tidbits as, as usual. Okay, so let's see if there's anything else in this document UFO related. That may be the only thing. That's what we often find as we peel through these. I've gotten pretty good at very briefly going through and spotting it. Yep, I don't see anything else in here UFO-related, so that is document number 40, if you're interested. Document number 41 now. And this one is from, says, Argentina, 25th May, 1962. Communists appeal for popular front. Havana, Presna, Latina, in Spanish to Latin American. So it's a copy of a Spanish-American newspaper, the Havana, Presna, Latina, in Spanish to Latin America. Uh, either that or it could be even a TV show. I'm not sure. Sorry. Uh, but it does say May 1962, 25th of May 1962. Now, the first few paragraphs here, folks, is basically about them wanting to form a trade union. So I won't go too much into that. But sure enough, you get down here a little bit and there's a good sized chunk. And it says unidentified flying objects. Buenos Aires. The appearance of unidentified flying objects over the city of Bahia Blanca, south of Buenos Aires, is causing the most varied comment among the people there. 
the most extraordinary occurrence was on 21 May, when many people observed a strange luminous body suspended for several minutes over the city, and then saw it disappear quickly. A local photographer was able to take two pictures of the object, which looks like a luminous oval on the print. The Caudilla Astronomical Observatory is compiling data about this phenomenon, which has been observed in other regions of Argentina, although not as clearly as in Bahia Blanca. The observatory was asked, or has asked, the public to submit their observations in order to determine whether the phenomenon was a cluster of meteorites, part of an artificial satellite, or due to other causes. Lima AFP, Spanish-Latin, 0354 GMT, 25th May 1962. A luminous object which was crossing the heavens above Bahia Blanca was photographed by a reporter of the local newspaper Nueva Provincia, according to that newspaper. The reporter was walking along the street when he first noticed the object. Seeing that it was not leaving the city, he drove to the Mel Meldonado Canal and there took several photographs. On the very instant, the mysterious body stopped and changed its course. Wow. This was when the object was closest to Earth. Lima AFP, Spanish Latin America. So that is a very interesting article, my friends. And that one is, or sorry, document. That is document 41. So what we're going to do here really quickly is we are just going to, through the magic of editing, future John is just going to get back to you after he Googles this case and sees if he can find out any more. Okay, folks, I'm back. I'm here from the future, John from the future. Um, and I haven't found out a whole lot, but I've got a couple paragraph little reference here from wikivisually.com. And it says 12 May 1962. On 12 May 1962, three truckmen, Valentino Tomasini, Guaro Tomasini, and Humberto Zenobi, were traveling on Route 35 from Bahia Blanca to Jacinto Aruz. At 4.10, they saw an object on the ground in a field next to the road at a distance of 100 meters. The object looked like a rail car that was illuminated. As their truck came close to it, the object rose up and crossed the road at a height of 4 meters. Its lights went out, and from the lower part of it came a reddish flame. At last, the object divided into two parts, which flew off in different directions. So that sounds very similar to a Tic Tac UFO in my book, a rail car. Uh, cigar-shaped UFOs, which we've called them for years before the Tic Tac phenomena came into vogue. But yeah, interesting nonetheless, my friends. And without spending hours, that's about all I could find about it. But I just wanted to read you that very brief statement. So now we're moving on to number 42. And this one says WA site CH, looks like Chicago, like short for Chicago, 9337. Support redacted from redacted. Okay, so we're back to Dr. Leon Stevenson. Man, they must have hated this guy because this is from 1958. R.E. Dr. Leon Davidson, ex-Dr. Leon Davidson. We are sending you a buy, sorry, buy buck slip, a copy of Davidson's latest publication on space saucers entitled The Air Force and the Saucers Part 3. The Central Intelligence Agency becomes involved with saucers. Please note page 13, Visit to the CIA, CIA office in Chicago. In this section, Davidson did not withhold redacted name because redacted asked him to, but because he didn't remember it well enough to risk misspelling. See the address clipped from the outer envelope. 
The soundproof conference room was a convenient conference room on the first floor of the courthouse used by any court people who wished to go in there. Redacted, in fact, did and promise, sorry, did in fact promise to get the code translation and the identification of the transmitter for Davidson if possible, and in any event to give him some response within a week or so. Redacted did not ask Davidson to keep secret the Chicago CIA location, but advised Davidson not to use CIA letterhead in his forthcoming article, being forwarded under Buckslip, without first clearing with CIA authorities in Washington. The matter of CIA's Chicago location never came up, and this is sheer drama aimed at magazine story appeal. In our telephone conversation on January 1958, uh, 8th of January, Davidson advised that his next article, presumably the one we are forwarding you, was in the hands of Pentagon rewrite review people. Possibly then, this article is not yet on the press. In any event, again, we urge that in view of the facts that Davidson redacted, redacted has been dealing with CIA, we put in touch with redacted for further in, interminable business, and we be relieved of this chore. So, yeah, I would say, from what I can gather, this is from the Air Force trying to put it back on the CIA and say, hey, look, you've been dealing with this guy. We don't want to deal with this guy. Since you started dealing with him, you should finish dealing with him. So, again, that's an interesting one, folks. And that is uh, file number 42. So, folks, I'm just going to go over one more tonight and we'll keep this episode fairly brief. I know many people would look at it and go, JT, 70 minutes, 75 minutes. That's not brief, but anyone who's listened to The Paranormal Sun for very long knows that's a pretty brief episode for me. So number 43 here we've got, and this is another one that has got all of the CC'd in CIA bases all over the world. So everything again from Washington, D.C. to NAIC Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to Honolulu. So uh, this one is, as I say, this is document 43, and this will be either in the late 90s, or early 2000s. Just telling, because I've learned very much from reading these documents over and over. It's just the style of the document. So sure enough, this is from 11th of March, 2002. And it says, Topic International Political Terrorism, 9-11 USA. Country, uh, Russia. And then it says, okay, so they've translated it. It says, it says, uh, FBI's translated text. It says, okay, presenter, Alexei... Sukhovnov, so this looks like it was a TV show. Exactly six months after the tragedy in the USA, Russian paranormal phenomena specialists are heading for the USA to rid the Americans of various phobias and mental illnesses caused after the tragic events. Sinostolov Gordon has the details from Rostov on Don. Correspondent, it is hard to imagine that in this house with stove heating hidden in Rostov's slums, there is a world-famous scientific center of the so-called enology, as is the name for the science of energy information exchange. Lelenone is a Russian acronym for that. Uh, the center employs... So, the center employees are opening a branch office in the USA where they have been invited to carry out serious work with those who have so far failed to recover from the 11th September tragic events. 
It will be another attempt to rid the people of the demon mask haunting them as it was seen by a photo camera and not only this camera. So for those of you who have seen that 9-11 photo of the smoke and then some people said there was a face of a demon in it, apparently that's what they're talking about. The rehabilitation method developed in Rostov-on-Don and called Energy Information Adjustment, the session looks approximately like this, has attracted the attention of many in the USA, where the attitude to similar methods is much more serious than in Russia. Viktor Rogozhkin, captioned as Director ENIO Scientific Research Center, We work with guys who have been to Chechnya, Afghanistan, Chernobyl, the Americans have grown interested in our experience. Correspondent, back in 1995, the center employees who were seriously engaged in UFO problems spoke about a serious crisis in the universe which was about to emerge in the U.S. in 2001. Their reports about it were indeed already there in the USA, but not many paid attention to them then. Now the footage of the planes crashing into the World Trade Center buildings are demonstrated here as proof of the forecast. A brilliant object near the walls of the World Trade Center explosion in the right-hand corner of the screen is indicated to prove that, as an enlologist say, this is the UFO. Besides, it is alleged to have been exactly at that same point several days before the explosions. According to the center employees, extraterrestrial civilizations were exactly who had been preparing the 11 September tragedy by using the current suspects as the crime tool. Rogoskin, our extraterrestrial friends, have practically broken their contract with the U.S. government. I don't mean Bush or Kennedy. Those are much more deeper and hidden structures. Correspondent, whether the enlologists will talk to the Americans themselves about the war between civilizations is not clear now. The trip will last at least three months starting exactly six months from the explosion of the twin buildings, which the scientists say is not a mere coincidence as well. Description of source. Moscow NTV in Russian. Influential TV network broadcasting out of Russia. Gazprom recently seized control from Vladimir Guzinski's Media Most Group. Wow. Okay, so what they're saying here, folks. Wow, what? Again, I just pick these randomly, okay? I pick... Five files out randomly, I number them, and then I read them. So when I read them, as you're listening, that's the first I see of them. So basically, this group from Russia is basically saying that 9-11 was caused by UFOs, entities from elsewhere in the universe, that basically used the 9-11 terrorists as a cover to make this attack on the Twin Towers. Wow. Folks, I've heard all kinds of theories about 9-11. Everything from it was uh, Israeli uh, secret services to other secret services around the world that obviously it was the U.S. government and that it was an inside job. I've even heard stories that this was a warning from the Fourth Reich, basically. So Nazis who survived the war and had basically started a a fringe splinter group of civilization and that it was them basically warning us to leave them alone. And that's why they attacked nine 11. I, oh, wow. But I've never, that's the first that I've heard that UFOs were involved in nine 11. Now maybe I'm uh, just not paying attention. Maybe I'm the only 
you know, one of the few people that doesn't know this, but wow, I, I had not heard that. Wow, that is a freaking bombshell to end this episode on. I don't know what else to say, folks. Just wow, it's pretty out there. I mean, again, I try not to judge when I present these things to you. It's just interesting, to say the least. So, folks, first and foremost, before I go, I just want to apologize to our Brazilian listeners and also our Russian listeners for butchering any of the names or place names or anything else there. Now, basically, like I say, your next episode will be something to do with Ireland for St. Patrick's Day. I'm not sure quite what, but I will basically do my best to get you a really good subject. I want to do a really good show for you, and I'm basically going to start from once this show is out. And probably we'll look at doing something that my friend over at Blurry Photos, David Flora, does. He calls it Slurry Photos when he does his St. Patrick's Day special. Every year he covers something from Ireland, and he'll drink. And he'll drink, drink when he does the show. So maybe we'll look at that. Um, I'll have to look in the old uh, budget can and see if there's enough coins to go and buy some Guinness because it's not cheap here to buy Guinness. But that is my tipple of choice. I've got plenty of other things to drink, but being an Irish holiday, I'd like to either have some Guinness, something like that. Uh, we don't really have a lot of selection here, but Guinness is good. And then obviously I could always get some Jameson. So, folks, I'm going to leave you, as always, with a quote from Art Bell, which is, A mind should not be so open that the brain falls out. However, it should not be so closed that whatever gray matter does reside within may not be reached. Take care, my friends, and I will talk to you soon. <laughs>